Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the spot to be at this Saturday between the pregame party for DC United, the musician Matt Waller, and UFC 278. Register for free at waltersdc.com and you will earn a free beer in the process. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He holds a high set of letters. Here comes the pitch. Abrams, a line drive, base hit left field. Ruiz will score. Hernandez right behind him. Profar's throw to the plate is offline, and two runs will score, and Abrams will advance to second base. It's a clutch two-out, two-run single for the former Padre, C.J. Abrams, and the Nationals lead for the first time tonight, 2-1. to one. Morano kicks it to the first. Machado swings and drives one. Deep right center field. This is way back, and this ball is off the wall and in play. This is going to score two runs and tie the game. Machado pulls it to second as Soto crosses the plate in behind Profar. Hater sets. And now the pitch. Swing and a dribbler back up the third baseline. Hater will field it. He'll fire down the right field line. A wild throw. And it kicks past Soto. Robles around third score stopping at second with Thomas and now he goes on at third unbelievable the Nationals have the lead by the score of four to three two on call to the pitch swing and a drive hit well to left field back goes Profar over his head and it is gone goodbye first major league home run for Alex Cole and welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday August 20th 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Petco Park in San Diego. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We are taping this installment of the Nats Chat podcast at close to 3 a.m. on Saturday, but we are doing so off yet another Nats win at the Padres. A 6-3 win at the Padres late night on Friday night. The Nats now have won each of the first two games in this four-game series. The Padres now, since trading for Juan Soto and Josh Bell, in terms of having them available for games, are a mere 6-10. and And the Nats this season now, believe it or not, are 15-16 and against the National League West. We've talked so much about the Nats this season being a hideous 9-42 and against the National League East. Well, the Nats now are 15-16 and against the NL West. Three runs in the top of the ninth of Josh Hader early Saturday morning. Mark, the Nats have yet to sweep a series this season. 
What if, <laughs> imagine if their first series sweep of the season ended up being a four-game sweep at the Padres just weeks after the Juan Soto trade? Well, let's not get crazy here yet, Al, okay? We got a ways to go. We're getting closer. For that, but certainly the results from these first two nights, yeah, and I feel for you and Tim being up as late as you are out here on the West Coast. It's not even midnight yet, and you just said the the numbers. Maybe the Nats need to play all their games out here because they've played a whole lot better late night on the West Coast than they've played pretty much anywhere else in America this season. I don't know how to explain it necessarily, except to say that they've got a formula now that at worst is giving them a chance to win games. And when it really works to perfection, they're actually winning these games late. That is the following. Get good enough starting pitching to give yourself a chance. Get really good bullpen work to keep the game close, and then find a way to score some runs when it matters late. They're still not hitting much as a team, but they're finding a way a lot of these games. And when they keep it close, this team actually, it feels like they have the advantage in the late innings. It's hard to believe I'm saying that, but I actually think they have an advantage in the late innings because of their bullpen and the fact that they're just finding a way to scratch together a couple runs when it really matters. They've done it two nights in a row. And really, we've seen this pattern for the last couple of weeks where they haven't won them all, but they've been in a position to do this a lot. They have been. It's crazy, man. I mean, you can't have a four-game sweep without winning each of the first two games. The Nets are halfway there. That top of the ninth on Friday night really was something else. So the game was tied at three. Victor Robles leads off the top of the ninth with a six-pitch walk and then ends up scoring on a horrendous throwing error by Padres reliever Josh Hader, who is reeling as a Padre. Hayter, in fielding a tapper off the bat of Lane Thomas, fired the ball into right field territory, and then Juan Soto had trouble getting to the ball, and the result was Robles scoring for a 4-3 Nats lead, and Thomas going all of the way to third base. Then came Alex Call. Alex Call, in what ended up being a three-run ninth for the Nats, smashed a two-run homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch from Josh Hayter. For a 6-3 Nats lead, the homer is Call's first career Major League regular season home run, and the Nats got to Hater to where he didn't even record an out in the game. You talk about the fickle nature of relievers. I mean, how many relievers in baseball have been more dominant than Josh Hader over the last, you know, five, six years, whatever you want to say? Josh Hader now, since being acquired from Milwaukee by the Padres, six earned runs in three and the third innings. What a job by the Nats in that ninth. Hayter just completely imploded, and the Nats pulled off this improbable win. So remember, I think we talked about this at the time when the Brewers made that trade, and we're thinking, what are they doing here? But we've seen enough of Josh Hayter to know that when he's good, he's incredibly good, and when he's bad, he is really bad. We've certainly seen it before a few years ago, and you're seeing it right now. It was at a point there where I'm thinking to myself, if I'm stepping to the plate against him, I'm not taking the bat off my shoulder until I've got two strikes on me. That's how wild he is. And then it even translated to his defense by fielding not an easy play, but he still had plenty of time to make the throw to first. And he uncorks this throw that goes way down the line, bounces off the sidewall. Juan Soto is running one way to back up the play, and it has to slam on the brakes and go back the other way, try to dive for it. He couldn't get it. It almost looked like he was banged up on the play. And all I'm thinking, I know others have pointed this out too, 
Josh Hader blowing a game against the Nationals in which a ball gets past the right fielder. I think we've seen that one before. Maybe the stakes weren't quite as high this time around, and Juan Soto was in the middle of it all on a very different perspective this time. But I mean, that was something to see. And then for the final blow, for Alex Call on an 0-2 pitch to just crush that ball to left field for his first career homer. I mean, that was a satisfying three-batter sequence for the Nationals. And then Hayter walked off the mound to a chorus of boos from the crowd here. They have not been kind to him. They have not been kind to the Padres in general, the way things are going right now. All the big moves they made, Josh Bell is in a slump. Juan Soto is doing some Juan Soto things, but he's not really delivering in the biggest spots. Obviously, Fernando Tatis's issue, Hayter struggling like crazy. These fans here are really frustrated right now, and they're worried this whole thing's going to fall apart. Yeah. I mean, Josh Bell didn't even start on Friday night. He came off the bench as a pinch hitter. And Josh Bell now with the Padres over 16 games has an OPS of 405. You know, it's crazy. I mean, with Hayter, I think this is another one of these lessons of these relievers, man, even the good ones in theory, Hayter, right? You cannot trust them. I mean, they they just, they are so up and down. And that Hayter gets acquired and has been this bad. He is costing San Diego games. He is here to seal victories. And instead, he is causing losses. I mean, I think that's just so instructive about the nature of relievers. But yeah, I mean, Alex Call, right? You think about like the heroes in that ninth inning, right? Robles, Thomas, Call, like who, what? Yeah, like these are the guys getting the job done. It was just this past Sunday that the Nats recalled Alex Call from AAA Rochester. Remember, had him as a leadoff batter for that game on Sunday. He, on Friday night, was the Nats' number two batter. Like, this is the state of the Nats' lineup right now. You didn't have Luke Voigt on Friday night. He didn't start due to back tightness. So, like, you're just, you're piecemealing these lineups together. I mean, you look at these lineups on paper, you say to yourself, how are the Nats going to score runs game in, game out? And yet they put up six runs on Friday night. Uh, I mean, it just, it was so impressive what they did in rallying with that three-run ninth. You also got meaningful contributions from other players in this game. K-Bert Ruiz got on base five times. I mean, K-Bert Ruiz, two singles, including an RBI single, two walks, and a hit by pitch. And he had a stolen base. We had a double steal with K-Bert Ruiz and Cesar Hernandez on Friday night. And uh, in the clubhouses, we're interviewing K-Bert off in the corner, walking past him. Nelson Cruz yells out, Ricky Henderson, Ricky Henderson. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going on. K-Bert Ruiz is six for seven on stolen base attempts this year. Would you believe that? And on the front end of a double steal that didn't even draw a throw, this was a great night for him. We are seeing him kind of put everything together. It's such a grind. He's taken such a beating behind the plate. And obviously, his primary focus is on defense, but he is contributing offensively. He has the ability to be a complete player. And we're just, I think, seeing the tip of the iceberg there of what he can be. It's hard not to be impressed with that. I think the thing that I was most impressed with out of all this from this game, the runs were driven in by Cabert Ruiz, CJ Adams, and then Alex Cole. You'd much rather have them win a game that way than with runs being driven in by Yadiel Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, and uh, Ildemardo Vargas. You know, these are potential building blocks for the future, especially in the cases of Ruiz and Abrams. That's nice to see. One other thing about the call, Homer, it came one pitch after he fouled off a safety squeeze attempt. He popped it up behind the plate. He's thinking, hey, we're already up a run. I got a guy on third. I can just get him in. We'll expand the lead. Instead, because of the missed bunt, he ends up taking a big hack and driving in an extra run on top of all that. So, I mean, crazy sequence there for call who 
was admittedly in a really good mood afterwards. He's always dreamed about hitting his first career homer, as everybody does. Uh, and he said to do that in the ninth inning off Josh Hader in a game like that, it was like beyond his wildest dreams. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tricky with Cole. The Nats got him off waivers from Cleveland on August 7th. So you're like, well, should we really be viewing him as a potential building block? Well, this is only his age 27 season. He was a third round pick. The White Sox took him in the third round of the 2016 MLB draft out of Ball State University. And, you know, if you ever look at the rosters of good teams, you will find waiver claims who inexplicably end up becoming decent players. Like, you do have that. So, you know, a guy like Hall, why not? Give him an opportunity here and uh, and see what you got. You know, it's, it's funny you bring up, like, the younger guys fueling the Nats to victory on Friday night because that was one of the things about the Thursday night win. Like, if you're trying to pick a nit, it was older guys who led the way to the win on Thursday night, right? It was uh, Nelson Cruz, and it was Anibal Sanchez, and it was Ildemaro Vargas. So to see the younger guys lead the way on Friday night was good. Uh, with Kbert Ruiz, by the way, I mentioned the two walks. He, in the top of the second, had a 10-pitch walk, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. He also, in this game, had a one-out opposite field single to right field on a 1-2 pitch. That came in an at two-run fourth, during which uh, Kbert Ruiz had his stolen base. And then he, in the one-run fifth, had a two-out first pitch RBI single to left center for a 3-1 Nats lead. So a lot of good hitting from Kbert Ruiz in this game. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Kbert Ruiz? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call them today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Edward Jr. rocks, kicks, throws. Swing a hard ground ball, wrapped to short. Moving left to field is Abrams. Throw for first is low and gets by Manessis. Machado will stay at first as the ball stays in play. Manessis runs it down. Boy, Abrams really didn't let that throw go at all. He kind of tried to baby it across the diamond. And that was just about a two-hopper. You mentioned what C.J. Abrams did in the game. Great to see this. You know, he has not hit particularly well since the Nats brought him up. Small sample size, of course. But he has had now multiple big hits. He and that Nats two-run fourth had a two-out, two-run opposite field single to left field for a 2-1 Nats lead. So very nice to see that. He did leave four men on base in the game. And there are some issues with his throwing, as we are seeing here. There were multiple instances with his throwing in this game. Bottom of the first, a uh, routine one-out ground out by Juan Soto. The ball was hit right to Abrams on the outfield grass, and he made a dangerous one-hop throw on which Joey Manessis at first base did make a nice backhanded catch. But Manessis could not save Abrams in the bottom of the seventh. A throwing error for Abrams in that inning. Routine two-out grounder off the bat of Manny Machado. Again, hit right to Abrams on the outfield grass. Made a bad one-hop throw that Manessis did not catch. So there is this kind of Luis Garcia tendency here of routine play makes the bad throw. He's getting you a lot of balls, though. And uh, like I said, he now has multiple big hits here for the Nets. Yeah, well, look, as far as the defense goes, you see the athleticism. He is smooth at times and is making plays that we haven't seen other guys make, but he's still raw. He's 21 years old, hasn't played a whole lot in the minors, and just needs to find that consistency every single play, especially on the routine plays we see. It's easy for a young guy to get a little lazy on some of those sometimes. Uh, He's got to avoid that and treat every play like it's a significant one. But in the bigger picture, I do like what I've seen because – you see the athleticism. You see the range he has. He does have a good strong arm when he makes a good throw. And we've seen him come through at least enough here now in the clutch. I mean, two run, two out single off lefty Blake Snell, who's about as tough a lefty as you're going to find right now. That to me is a very good sign. So I'm trying not to read too much into every single thing he does right now because he is so young and you don't want to make too big a deal, good or bad. Let's view this at the end of the year once we've seen a bigger sample of him and draw some conclusions about what we think they have. But definitely has the skills. It's just a matter now of consistency and experience and hopefully cleaning up those little things that at times he struggles with. With the Nats bullpen on Friday night, more great work. Uh, Remember, the Nats bullpen in the win on Thursday night was really good. Uh, Five Nats relievers in that 3-1 win at the Padres on Thursday night combined for four scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Well, late night on Friday night, five Nats relievers officially combined for four and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Did have Victor Arano giving up a hit that led to two runs. Came into the game in the bottom of the fifth. Runners on first and second. One out. Nats leading 3-1. And uh, Arano to the first battery face. Manny Machado gave up a one out, two run. Opposite field double off the right uh, center field wall to tie the game at three. And then Arano issued a wild pitch. But he then recorded back-to-back swinging strikeouts to end the inning. And then the bullpen dominance was on. Steve Ciszek scoreless bottom of the sixth. Despite issuing yet another hit by pitch, that's what he does, but he did toss a scoreless bottom of the sixth. Carl Edwards Jr., scoreless bottom of the seventh. Erasmo Ramirez, who is on a nice run here, perfect bottom of the eighth. And Kyle Finnegan, perfect bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts 
for the save. I mean, really good work. And you had five Nats relievers pitching in this game. This wasn't like one or two guys who were good. You had five guys who ended up getting the job done. Well, and this is why I was saying, like, when they just get to a point where you get to the, say, sixth inning and it's a close game, they've got enough bullpen depth to cover that and give themselves a chance if they can just come through with a hit or two late in the game. That's the formula we're seeing from them now. It's it's kind of unexpected. I don't think any of us saw that formula being the Nats' best path to victory, but that's how they're built at the moment. They have as deep a bullpen as they've had in a really long time, and it's nice to see it coming together. And nice to see guys holding up physically. There's a lot of work that's been asked of Finnegan, Edwards, Ciszek, Ramirez, Hunter Harvey, who didn't pitch in this game, but we know of his injury history. You keep kind of waiting for this all to break down at some point. Knock on wood, it hasn't happened so far. Finnegan has been excellent here lately. And Erasmo Ramirez, you mentioned it, he's been the unsung hero. We don't really talk about this guy much at all. He'll do whatever you need of him, whether it's setup, whether it's emergency starting, long relief, you name it. And more often than not, he has come through this year. He doesn't dazzle you at all, but he gets the job done, kind of like Paolo Espino was last year when he was in the bullpen, the jack of all trades. Erasmo Ramirez has actually proven to be really valuable to this team and help making that bullpen as deep as it is. Yeah, the Nats, as we tape this installment of the podcast, are fifth in the majors this season in relief innings pitched, 473 and two-thirds relief innings pitched. So a lot has been asked of this bullpen. The overall relief pitching ERA is 420. We've talked about this. The overall numbers are kind of skewed because you have had some really rough outings, but there have been a lot of these games in which we've said hey, bullpen was really good. And we're in the midst now of like, you know, a multi-week stretch in which more often than not, the Nats bullpen is coming through and is a key to victory and is doing enough in games to where the deficit is maintained or the lead is held. And you just kind of hold on until the offense can do something in the latter innings. The Nats, who like never rallied to win games earlier this season, are actually starting to do that here. We're starting to see them produce, you know, six inning on in games. You know, we've had that here uh, in this series at the Padres, certainly had it on Friday night with the three runs in the top of the ninth inning. Uh, you mentioned Paolo Espino. He was an ad starting pitcher in this game. Paolo, for the game, ended up allowing three runs in four into third innings. Now, two of the runs charged to Paolo did come on that aforementioned double by Manny Machado of Victor Arano. And Paolo did give up just three hits, all of which were singles. And he did have four strikeouts. So you certainly can make the case he was better than that final line indicated. But he did issue four walks. He did throw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. Uh, Four and a third innings, he had 84 pitches. And of the 84 pitches, just 44 were strikes versus 40 balls. I know Eric Fetty's coming back. Do you think it could be Paolo who is out? He overall as a starter has not been what he was as a reliever. I know it's possible the Nats just go with a six-man rotation, but how strong of a hold do you think Paolo has on his rotation spot right now? It's a little bit teetering, yeah. And because you can also make the argument that he is more valuable to them in shorter bursts as a reliever, as a long man, whatever the case may be, the numbers don't lie. He was much better as a reliever than he's been as a starter in this game. The weird thing was he only really gave up one hard hit ball. That was the Trent Grisham RBI single in the second. There was an infield single. There was a bunt single. It was the walks that killed him, especially those back-to-back walks in the fifth, Profar and Soto. He gets pulled from the game and then Arano gives up the two-run double to Machado. So that's just not who Paolo is. He's a strike thrower. And for whatever reason, when he was pitching out of the bullpen, especially sometimes in those blowout games, he's just pumping strikes. 
and getting guys out and not worried about are they going to hit it or not. And I wonder if when he's starting and now he's thinking, well, I got to face these guys two or three times a night. I got to be a little more careful. I got to nibble around the zone. And to be honest, it's just not working for him. I think he's better if he just goes after the strike zone, keep them guessing with his different types of pitches, but don't expect them to chase because he is racking up high pitch counts. And like you said, the strike to ball ratio has not been very good. That's not who he is. No. And if you just go through game by game, there really haven't been many good starts. I mean, most of his starts have not been that good. He did have the good outing in the 6-5 win at the Cubs on August 9th, one run in five innings, five strikeouts, no walks. But for the most part, you're just seeing a lot of outings in which things do not go well. You know, this past Sunday afternoon, a game against the Padres at Nationals Park, that 6 nothing loss, four runs, five and two-thirds innings. We had that rain-shortened loss at Philadelphia on August 4th, five runs in four innings. Uh, we've had a lot of games like this for him. And, you know, it's just, I think he's being exposed here to a degree. Like, he was really good in his previous role. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Nats handle things, assuming that Eric Fetty is back come Tuesday night. So this really is something to me, what's happening with the Padres. And, you know, you do see this in baseball. Like, just because a team looks so great on paper, for whatever reason, things end up not playing out well. We were also down in the dumps with the Juan Soto trade, right? <laughs> I know this is like a juvenile way of looking at things, but if you're a Nats fan, are you allowed to take any glee out of the struggles of the Padres since making this trade. I mean, you're not supposed to do that, right? The struggles of others shouldn't make you feel better about yourself. But let's be honest, right? We're all human beings here. How do you not look and laugh and not look at what's happening with the Padres and maybe not feel a little bit better about what is going on with the Nats? I believe the term for that is schadenfreude, Mr. Galdi. (laughs) And it's only human to have those feelings at times. Now, I'll say this. If I'm a Nats fan, I don't want Soto and Bell to struggle. And certainly Josh Bell is really struggling right now. He's one for his last 31 and 0 for 19 against the Nationals. Now, we have seen him over the last couple of years. When he goes into a slump, it can last for a little while. And then when he's good, he gets on a really nice sustained run. And what was so notable about this year for him was that he really didn't have a slump. There was a little period of maybe seven to 10 days, I want to say in May, when he kind of lost it, but he got it back right away. And the reason his season was so good was because he was consistent day in and day out and didn't go through those kind of funks, which had kind of defined his career up to that point. So you got to believe he'll get it back here eventually. He's too good of a hitter. But you also got to believe he and Soto are feeling the pressure in the situation that they're in. When you take Tatis out of the equation, and now everybody's looking at the newcomers to step in and fill that void, it's only natural that they're going to be feeling the pressure. I mean, you saw emotion from Soto the previous night when he struck out against Victor Arano. You don't see that kind of frustration from him normally. This is a good team, but in making the bold moves that they did, A.J. Preller put a huge target on their backs and a huge spotlight on them. And it was as if to say, this is almost like the uh, the old Davey Johnson World Series or bust year. It's like they're saying anything short of winning it all now is going to be a huge disappointment. And that just adds pressure to a team that has never actually won anything. So it is a lot to ask of them. And the moment it starts to go south, that's a gut check for them. They've got to figure this thing out here pretty soon or they are in trouble. I don't know what they do with Hater. I mean, do you keep putting him out there or they're not in a position to be able to afford to blow any more games. You might have to go somewhere else and find a way to ease him back in and lower leverage spots. But wow, that move has been disastrous for them. And it does make you think maybe the Brewers knew what they were doing all along. Yeah. 
and that to me is again why when you can trade a reliever for a haul, you trade him because the guy could fall off the cliff at any moment, no matter how great he may be. You know, it's tricky with the Padres too because they're playing for second place in their division, right? Like the best they could always have done this year was a wild card spot. And you knew that going into the August 2nd MLB trade deadline. I mean, the Padres, as we're taping this podcast, are 18 games behind the Dodgers in the National League West. So you knew if you were San Diego, well, we're playing for a wild card spot. So when you go all in, to go all in to get a wild card spot, that's a tricky thing to do because, you know, we know how these wild card scenarios can play out. Now, it's different this year with the series as opposed to the one game. But still, ideally, like if you're going all in, it's to win a division. There's more like certainty with that. To just go all in for a wild card is tricky. I think with Josh Bell, it's interesting too. He's a rental and you know with him that when he's off, he's really off and he had not really been off this season. And so there was that risk with Bell of you trade for him. What if he goes into these Josh Bell-like funks in which he's not just struggling, but he's like atrocious. I mean, he's been atrocious for the Padres so far. So I think that's kind of notable. Like they could have ended up giving up Harleen Susana for Bell Bell does nothing for them for two months, and then he's gone after this season. Like, what a waste that would end up being for San Diego. So I think that that stands out, too. And then looking ahead, you know, no matter how this all finishes out, that could cost Bell and his market this winter. We've been wondering all along, what kind of contract is he going to get as not the premier free agent big hitter on the market, but a guy who coming off a career year, you would think could get a, a good deal. Well, that may not be as impressive as we were thinking all along. I mean, long way to go. We'll see how it all plays out. I, you know, I don't take any pleasure in, in them struggling, especially in him struggling. But I think they're going to be all right in the end. But you make a good point, which was even if all this stuff worked out, even if they're winning games and the newcomers are helping them along the way, they were always doing this just to give themselves a chance in a three-game series that could be against the Mets, could be against the Braves, the Cardinals. And then if you survive that, now it's a five-game series with the Dodgers or, the, again, the Braves or the, or the Mets. I mean, there's a long road and a difficult road for this team to actually do something once it gets to October. This is no cakewalk for them. At the moment, they just got to worry about getting there first. But even if and when they do get there, it could all end really quickly because of the way the, the playoff format is set up. And then with the Nats, because I've thought about this, you know, you think about like the state of the team and you're like, all right, well, should we just be rooting for them to lose as much as possible? Because what is the point of winning, right? Get the best draft choice possible. Well, it's important to keep in mind, things are different now. There is going to be a draft lottery for the 2023 MLB draft. This is part of the new collective bargaining agreement that was arrived at this past March. The first six choices in the 2023 draft will be determined via lottery rather than by the reverse order of the previous year's standings. The teams with the three worst records from the previous season will have the best chance of winning the lottery, 16.5%, but all 18 non-postseason teams will be in the lottery. So, you know, first of all, you could say, boy, the Nats timing on things is just the worst, right? They win the World Series in like the worst possible year because of what happened the following year. And now they become really bad at the worst possible time as we get a draft lottery. But, you know, if you're worried about, well, geez, the Nats are winning some games here. Isn't that bad for them long term? Not necessarily. Who knows what's going to happen with this draft lottery for the 2023 draft? Yeah, I mean, look, whether they finish with the worst or the second worst or the third worst record, they're going to have the same percentage chance. And it's only 16% chance of getting the number one pick. You add those up, there's only a 50-50 chance that one of the three worst teams gets the number one pick. It could go to almost anybody who doesn't make the playoff. Now, they're guaranteed, I think, to get at worst a top seven pick. 
But I mean, think about that. Number seven pick is very different than number one pick. They picked fifth this year. They could actually, despite having a terrible record, could actually have a worse draft pick next year. Now, the reason for this is that MLB and the union especially is trying to curb full-on tanking and not just reward a team for losing as many games as possible. It's a noble cause. I think everyone's hearts are in the right places there, but it is interesting how that could backfire against the Nats in the one year where maybe you wish you did have the worst record and it may not matter in the end that they have that. You know, If this is the old rules, there'd be a big series coming up between them and the A's shortly coming up next week. Instead, it's just a series between two really bad teams that are both going to have about an equal chance of getting the number one pick. Yeah. And I mean, look, we know in MLB drafts, if you have the number one pick or the number four pick or the number eight pick, it may not matter that much because there is just so much variance with these MLB drafts, especially. They're so unpredictable. And like you study these drafts over the years, all kinds of guys in all kinds of rounds end up becoming great players. But no doubt, like you would rather have the number one pick than the number seven pick. And that this is the year in which this starts, like it's just that timing for the Nats. It's just it's just a killer for them. But but yeah, they should still have a high pick. They hopefully do something good with that high pick. And uh, they're doing a nice job in this series at the Padres. Full credit to the Nats. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats chat podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now the pitch swung on it high in the air to deep left center. Robles is back, slowing up, has a play to the edge of the track. He makes the catch, and a curly W's in the books for a second night in a row in San Diego.